What's up, my people? All right, all right, all right. The rose among the thorns tonight. Ms. Brooke Davis. I got a few people that like me over here. Yeah, I didn't know you bring your own, hey, I didn't know you bring in your own fan club. I mean, I do. They're everywhere. I got to. They're paid. I got to pay people more. That no, they're paid. Trust me, they're paid. I don't even. My my family's not even cheering. Could be because they're worried. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the you. right room for this passage tonight. Man, oh man. Uh, if you've been tracking with us, I, some of you have been waiting for this night. <laughs> Head coverings, haircuts, and holy cow. <laughs> That's the title, working title at least. Um, yeah, so tonight's topic uh, in Corinthians, because it, somehow we chose to preach through a book of the Bible that doesn't dodge anything controversial, is, is no joke, like we say this a lot, but this is no joke, one of the most complicated and um, difficult passages mm-hmm. to translate. Mm-hmm. I would think both of you would agree with that, right? Right. Like this Correct. week. I probably, no joke, yesterday counted up. I've read about 300 pages in the, probably the past four or five days just on these 16 verses we're going to look at. And uh, it's a really uh, hotly uh, debated topic because the, most of the focus tonight is going to be on gender and gender roles. So I'm going to, just to start, I want to give you a little hint at about where the culture is on this. Uh, the World Health Organization has this on their page. It's one of the first things that comes up if you Google gender. It says this, gender refers to the characteristics of men, women, girls, and boys that are socially constructed. This includes norms, behaviors, and roles associated with being a woman, man, girl, or boy, as well as relationships with each other. As a social construct, gender varies from society to society and can change over time. And so most of us in the room are college students. And you, when you hear that phrase, gender is a social construct, that's probably familiar language to you. Well, I'm pulling the pin on the grenade tonight and rolling it into that sentence to let you know that is false. It's not a social construct. It's part of the divine design and creation of God in heaven, and it is a joyful, pleasant thing. Uh, It's given to us as a gift, and I hope by the end of the night, um, you believe that. Brooke, you said, when we were in the back, something... Yeah, I I, I think not only are you hearing this from culture, but you probably have had some of your own experiences as both men and women where you might have seen abuse, you've been abused, you're carrying situations from your family of origin in that are just hard and weighty. And I think sometimes when we come to a passage like this, we're not just coming in with light things on our shoulders or our hearts. We're bringing in really real experiences that are hard to navigate. And texts like this at face value can kind of take you back Mm -hmm. And you can make assumptions about the way that God thinks about women and men and maybe his value he's placed based off the things you've experienced. And so my encouragement tonight is to base your knowledge of God not off of what you've experienced or what culture is screaming in your ear, but to base 
your knowledge of God off of his word. And as we unpack that, lay aside um, assumptions or things that are weighing on you and ask God to speak to you directly no matter what you're bringing in tonight. And I, in studying this, have actually been um, so encouraged and persuaded that Christianity is hands down the most dignifying religion for women in the world. There's no doubt about it. And when we walk in the way that God's said that we're supposed to walk, as men and women, we flourish. And I think that's what we're going to get to tonight. Yeah, I, I told Pastor Carlos earlier this week that uh, this passage, when you read it, it, it's very similar to someone waxing your new car with a chainsaw. <laughs> so when you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be abrasive. There are biblical yeah. texts that when we come across in our cultural context that we just go, oh, ugh. this is one of them. And that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. It sounds strange to say that, but it's a good thing because it's not our words on these pages. That's right. Like th- that, um, and, and, and that's one of the discoveries you'll make when you study the word of God is that other cultures will come to other texts that won't bother us at all. And um, then they'll come to a text like this uh, that will bother them, like vice versa. It goes both ways that there'll be time and places in which the word of God will really cut against us because we have such a strong movement in a certain direction. But in other cultures, it will be the opposite. So here we are. Let's go. First Corinthians 11. Let's start with verse two. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. This is the apostle Paul. He's writing to this church at Corinth. I'm just kind of making sure you know the context here. We've we've made our way all the way here. Here's verse three, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut off her hair. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> so here, in order to unpack this, this is, this is a sort of a muddy, there's not a whole lot of clarity in here. So in order to understand this passage, we need to go to places in the Bible that bring more clarity to it. Uh, that's the amazing thing about this book. It's one constant, consistent story that 
supports itself. Uh, and so we're going to start where it uh, makes the most sense, in my mind at least, with the Trinity, right? If we're talking about relationships, we need to look at the uh, pre-existent greatest relationship in the history of the universe, right? In fact, Paul makes a reference to that, if you noticed in verse 3, where he gives these categories. Christ is the head of man, husband's the head of the wife, and God is the head of Christ. That's a reference to the relational nature of the Trinity. So I'm going to give you some really big words uh, on, at the front end here so you feel like you're getting your money's worth, all right? Uh, when we talk about the Trinity, uh, one of the things we talk about is ontological equality, right? That just, what in the world does that mean? Well, that, that just means the Trinity in essence is this. It's three persons, one God, not three gods in one person. It's one God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Each one of those persons, in essence, is equal, right? There's equality, ontological essence, equality in the Trinity. Right. Inside the Trinity, there is what I would call economic or functional diversity. This is what that means, that each one of the members of the Trinity have a specific role that distinguishes them from one another. Because if you didn't have that, and all you had was the ontological equality, all three members of the Trinity would be exactly the same and you wouldn't be able to tell, tell them apart. So this functional or this economic uh, diversity is, are, are the role distinctions inside the Trinity. And can we, can we just be in agreement and on the same page here that inside the Trinity there is perfect harmony and perfect love. There's no bitterness, there's no right. jealousy, yeah. It's the perfect relationship, right? So let me just give you some, uh, and feel free to jump in. Yeah. Uh, I got like a lot to say about the Trinity. But <laughs> here's what distinguishes the three persons, their, their, their roles. The Father is the authority inside the Trinity. Uh, he puts forth the purposes and the plans for all of creation. I'm just going to give you a couple of passages. We don't have time to read all of them. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3 and verses 9 through 11. It talks about the purposes and the plans of God that he makes uh, as it relates to our salvation. So the Father is the author, right? And, and has the authority. The Son is under the authority of the Father and seeks to advance the will of the Father uh, if you go to John 8, 28 and 29, in fact, let's, I, I want us to look at that one. We'll come back to this one in a second, Be because this one, um, this one helps. John 8, verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority. But speak just as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus in John 8 is saying, I, am, I have submitted myself to the authority of the Father. Same in essence, different in role. Holy, the Holy Spirit. At the same time in John chapter 8, you know, if you keep reading John chapter 8 where Jesus says, before Abraham was, oh, yeah. I, I yeah. am. So at one moment he's, 
he's speaking. In fact, he, he says in verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. So, so there's this relationship he has with the father of submission. But at the same time, it, when, he, when he gets to the bottom line of who he is, he says, before Abraham was, I am. As in, I am the God of Israel. So uh, there's yeah. still this perfect uh, equality uh, between him and the father, and yet there is this relationship. And, and that'll come into play. That's important. Just kind of store that, because when we get to the creation and the image, that, that'll be helpful to come back to. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, is under the authority of both the Father and the Jesus. The Jesus. <laughs> the I'm a little excited. Uh, <laughs> under Jesus. And the Holy Spirit seeks to glorify the Son in the same way the Son seeks to glorify the Father, right? And so if you think about in our salvation, how, do, how does, what does that matter? Like if they have different roles and they're equal, what does that matter as it relates to our salvation? Well, uh, God the Father purposed and planned our redemption as sinners through the Son. In fact, if you read Acts, the, the, it's Peter's sermon in Acts about God's purpose and plan to send his Son on behalf of sinners, that, that's that's God acting on our behalf to plan our salvation. The Son comes in obedience to the Father to pay the sacrifice for our sin. The Holy Spirit then, uh, Luke tells us, empowers Jesus to uh, do what the Father has commanded him to do and uh, ordained him to do. Then the Holy Spirit regenerates uh, lost unbelievers and helps us, uh, gives us power to preach the gospel to other lost people and sanctify us until we're reunited with the Trinity in heaven at the resurrection. So the Father plans, the Son purchases, and the Spirit empowers, which... It was when, much easier than what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it was good. We needed you to go there. But if we're looking at a perfect relationship and seeing clear and distinct roles yet equal mm. in value... Yeah. That gives us kind of a baseline for where our relationships start. And I think that's helpful and key in learning how to find your identity just as a person is we're not looking to our left or to our right or to our Instagram or our media outlets. We're looking to God and we're seeing him and then we're finding our identity in his character. And as we look at the Trinity and unpack these distinct yet equal roles, we find that's the same with gender. Yeah. Go ahead. You got anything? Well, so, I, was, I mean, I think the only thing we missed there is, is as we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what who is who yes. indwells us. Yes. And uh, I think that's another important point. So that Trinity, that one God, is our example of what a perfect, how we're to relate, right? That Trinity creates male and female. So we're going to move from Trinity to the creation. Mm -hmm. And Paul does that. Uh, actually, it's fascinating to me the number of times New Testament writers, I, I, we've said this, I feel like, before in Corinthians, but anytime the issue of gender or uh, marriage or anything like that pops up in the New Testament, when they want to talk about the ideal, they always go back to Genesis 1 and 2. And Paul does that. Uh, you, you might not have caught it, but uh, it is a, uh, if we're going to talk about the Trinity and the God-designed roles, we need to see where, where Paul 
takes us to Genesis. So if you look in uh, verse 8 of this passage, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now, if you just read that sentence out loud yeah. in your gender studies class, they're going to take you outside and stone you, right? Just, in fact, try it tomorrow, just for some kicks, right? Just go, hey, don't, don't, don't do that. Or maybe. It's a reference to uh, Genesis Genesis chapter 2, to be specific. So let's flip back there, because I, I want you to see this. This is, this is why I made the statement that, that gender is not a cultural construct. It is a God-ordained, created gift. So let's look at it. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18. So God's created uh, everything. He's created man. Um, and in verse 18 it says, uh, It is not good that the man should be alone. It's the only time in the creation account the phrase not good is used. Mm. Everything else is, it is good, it is good, it was good, it was good. It is not good that Adam's alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Um, so skip down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, from the side, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So there's the, there's the creation of gender right there in Genesis chapter 2. It's not a social construct. It is God saying, looking down and going, if I leave this dude alone, this is not good. Mm -mm. Go women. Yes. Go women. Yes. Yes. You... you you understand, the Trinity is looking down going, that's not a good thing. And, and you know, the Trinity is saying we want to make man in our image. The purpose of a human being created is to literally bear the image of God. And the fullness of God's image was not complete with just man. So both men and women are necessary to do the very thing humans were created to do, which is bear the image of Christ. And that's where I always like to insert this in because a lot of people have never heard this. When you talk about the image of God, we're creating the image of God. And a lot of people immediately think, well, what, is, what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean to be in the image of God? Does that mean we look like God? Is it, there are some physical features that God has that we share? Well, maybe, I don't know. But uh, literally, we, if, if you do a deep enough study, here's what I think you'll come to the conclusion of, and this is what I came to a conclusion of, the image of God is God placing on us the right to rule. We're his vice regents over creation. And so to do this properly, we need both man and woman. Man could not do it by himself. Right. So God needed to create woman. So she is literally the completion of both man and the completion of creation. 
And so that's how vital her role is. Because that's the first place we jump, right? When we're in a passage like this, we, we, you're saying, well, you're demeaning uh, who women are. This is, you know, like we're, we're putting them secondary. No. Like if you walk out of here tonight and you have somehow mm-hmm. taken that with you, you've missed it. Yeah. Be- because honestly, the man left alone is vastly incomplete. Right, and that's that's why the the woman is created. Now, um, Paul, let's jump back to Corinthians. I want to keep talking a little bit about the creation because Paul. Have we gotten to the problem yet? Well, With the curse. We're uh, okay. We're about going. to get there. Okay. So when you read this passage, I didn't read your full outline tonight, so that's fine. well, I well, it's he doesn't you, you have an it. outline. It's like four post-it notes. You ready? <laughs> um, <laughs> what outline? We'll auction those off later. Um, <laughs> What is, what's going on in Corinth is there's, there's some kind of issue, but when we read it, we like, Ugh. like, why is it when we hear the gender things, we, there's something in us, right? Yeah. Who said, that's the magic, that's the, that's the Sunday school answer, sin. sin. You're correct. In Genesis chapter 3, mm-hmm. we get the explanation for why this is a problem, Right? So in Genesis 3, um, I know y'all are like, when are we getting to the Corinthians passage? In Genesis 3, the fall happens. And um, I'll just read you a couple of uh, pieces of the curse in Genesis. Um, In verse 16 of chapter 3, uh, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. So God, God puts this curse on uh, Adam and Eve because of the fall, because they disobeyed, and the, and the perfect... Uh, Union in the garden is broken. And part of the curse is this. That, that phrase, uh, your desire shall be over you. If you um, look right over, it's on, in my, on my Bible, it's the same page. If you go right across uh, where Cain and Abel, it says, uh, if you do well, you will, not be, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. It's the same word. That, that God tells Adam, or not Adam, Cain, that sin wants to rule over you. Its desire is to own you and, and rule over you. Mm-hmm. That's the same phrase used for Eve, this desire. It's, it's, not, a, it's not this, your desire is going <clears> to, <throat> it's, it's not a passion-driven sexual desire. It is a rule-over desire that came about. Right, and and when this distortion comes, God, before the fall, has said, okay, woman is going to come and her role is going to be helper and man's role is going to be head. And that that order is not in any way a value or a competency thing, Mm -hmm. right? God in, in no way is saying woman will be less than. God's just saying structure brings clarity, right? Structure brings 
flourishing without structure like have you ever been a part of a group project and you're like for the love will somebody just step up and lead you know and you don't want to be the person but you want structure (laughs) and so God creates structure that's good and has nothing to do with competency or quality um, but just has to do with distinction and roles and then the fall comes and this distortion starts to happen and men um, want to avoid or abuse their responsibility and women want to diminish or dominate the role that God's given them. Say that again. So men want to avoid or abuse, women want to diminish or dominate. And that's what we're familiar with. That's why this topic is so charged for us because you very rarely see both men and women doing this in a way that is not to one extreme or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And it leaves us with a taste in our mouth of how can this be good? Is God really saying we're equal even though he's giving us distinct roles? And the truth is yes, and the way we see that is in the Trinity, right? There's a member of the Trinity commonly referred to as the helper. Um, That in no way can be diminishing. That in no way can be degrading to a woman that she would be the same or called the same as a part of the Godhead. What a joy, what an honor that we would get that role. The same with men. What an honor that you would get to emulate Christ in his headship in a way that would glorify him. And so I think that through the fall, you see a massive distortion of these gender roles happen, and it takes the spirit empowering us to see the beauty that was originally there and that is still able to be lived out. That's just the idea of helper. I mean, you know, you're literally saying there's something that you can't do. Therefore, I will help you. So it's funny that sometimes we move that into like a lesser term because you're literally saying I'm the one that can help you with this. In in fact, here's a fun study for you to do. Just in the book of Psalms, I, I would challenge you to do this. Read through the Psalms and see how many times it says something like this. God is my helper. Psalm uh. 54.4 actually is one place. And there's probably another 40 times. God God the Father is called helper. It can't be demeaning. Right? It it means there's something lacking in something else that needs help. And so that's the the beauty of creation. That God saw man and said, look, this this is incomplete. We'll make a helper suitable for him. And it in no way diminishes. So you think about the idea of the Trinity, this ontological, the essence, the equality in essence. Men and women, ontologically, essence, same. Image bearers. You need both of them. In the functional role, they're differences. And that's, that's the, the clarity of the gender roles is what's, what's coming off the rails in Corinth. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole head covering passage. So that's so that's what we're Trinity, creation, and now we're getting into the church, which is what Paul's addressing in Corinth. And just to emphasize this again, if you go back to the curse in Genesis chapter 3, again, it's saying that the desire for the woman will be for her husband and he will rule over you. That um, what will happen, as Brooke said, uh, a man's going to either avoid that leadership uh, that he needs to take on or he will abuse it and we too have very frequently seen the abuse of that but just because there's abuse 
does not keep us from saying what God created yeah. is not good. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul is going to take us to here in Corinthians to say, um, yes, there is this real possibility, as Tim Keller says it, that Satan is a judo master. You know, in judo, how uh, you like use someone's momentum to take them forward. That's kind of what Satan does with us, with, the, with these leanings we have. He just kind of moves us forward past the biblical boundaries into uh, a sinful realm. And we can't, we can't do that. And Paul's going to say, here's within this very specific church, there's this very specific situation that he's going to say, here's where I'm going to take you back to, which we've already gone to. We're right. gonna, I'm going to take you back to creation. I'm going to take you to the Trinity. I'm going to let you see that so you can know, now here's how you apply this within the church. And, and so what's happening in the church at Corinth? Uh, now, now he, here's another thing. This is, the, the letter to the Corinthians is Paul answering some questions. Here's the problem. We don't have the questions, <laughs> right? We just have the answers. And so it's like being, num- like you get pulled into this email conversation at email number five. That's a great example. Right? Like somebody copies you after the fifth email goes out and you're reading it going, what? what? Head coverings? What? That's where we are, right? So here's what's going on. So, um... The head covering, and there's, we, we, are we going to get into, is it actual hair, or is it a head covering? Are we going to get into that? Uh, whatever you want to get into. <laughs> there's, there's a great bit of debate Do about whether have. it's an actual head covering, a veil, or is it the hair that is the covering. Yeah. Um, regardless of that, there's a clear distinction that the women, in order to, to clarify the role of of biblical femininity and the right standing with biblical authority would wear the the head covering was a sign of that right and the men were to not wear head covering for to show the sign of clear biblical masculine authority and not to blur the lines what's happened in Corinth is the lines are getting blurred Right? And it's hard to tell about gender roles and submission and, and all of that. And I think it's significant to see that this text is addressing the institutions that God have made to reflect the gospel. Yes, so that's, that's important. the church and the family, right? So God's saying within the church and the family, I have made distinct roles that men and women should walk in that honor me best. This doesn't necessarily apply to institutions outside of that because those weren't created by God to literally exemplify the gospel, right? When somebody looks at a marriage, they should be seeing Christ in the church. When somebody looks at a church, they should be seeing the beauty of Christ's love for his bride and the authority structure there that's good. And so I think it's significant to realize the context is not every man, every woman, it's right. within a church and a family structure. That's a very good That's what we were saying earlier. Today. If you try to take this and apply it and say, like, for our country, this is the new rule, it's not going to work. Because uh, unless the gospel is at the center, unless repentance and forgiveness and uh, grace are in the middle of this relationship where there's this, you know, sacrificial submission and sacrificial love all happening together at once like 
it's just too hard. And, and it is going to feel oppressive. And, and you're not... Um, That's where it's going to move to, for sure. It's going to move that way. Yeah. Um, and and I, let me say something to the young fellas in the room. You, you have a tremendous responsibility, young men. You, you are given this unbelievable stewardship by the creator of the universe. And Lord willing, I know this feels like a, a, an unbelievable, unreachable dream for most of you. But at some point, you're probably going to be married. <laughs> Trust me. I've seen it happen. Here, here, that sacred stewardship that you have, you are called to cultivate an environment where your wife can flourish. And, and listen, some of you got work to do. You, you need to start cultivating in your own life a place where you can flourish biblically. Right? You, you got to put the Xbox controller down sometimes and pick up your Bible. Right? Video games aren't sinful. They're just stupid. <laughs> you can tweet that. The women will. <laughs> but hear, hear me, fellas. Listen, you're, 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 you're better than the culture tells you you are. You have been given this gift by the Holy Spirit. You've been given this responsibility. And, and I think for most men, some men take it the wrong way and abuse. And that's, it's, it's horrible. How dare you take your authority and use it abusively? The, the, the plague is this, though. Apathy and avoidance. Just saying, I'm not going to be responsible. Mm-hmm. The, the default position for most men is neutral. And, and that's j- just, don't do that. It's okay. Own your biblical masculinity. And that's, that's very different than what the world thinks masculinity is. It's mm-hmm. not this alpha Rambo Jesus thing. You are, you are to die. You need to look in the mirror every day and say, there's a dead man that's, that's going to live for other people today. And so that's my rant to the young fellows. I love you. That's why I'm stepping on you right now so just do better and, and I don't even know where we are Go. well well and <laughs> the, the flip side to the ladies in the room I think it's in Paul's getting at correct me if I'm wrong getting at don't if <laughs> you're my authority <laughs> um if the the head covering isn't even the main idea here yeah, right yeah. the idea is that we realize our roles God has made for us in family and in church are good. And we need to walk in them. And whatever signifies that in our current culture, we need to do that. And so for the, for the ladies in the room, and, and just a personal experience is even me kind of deciphering in college my call to ministry. I knew I loved to be a part of the local church. I love to lead. I love to teach the Bible. Um, I wanted to be in the game, in the church, but I didn't know what that looked like. I knew God had boundaries on leadership for women. I knew that there were 
things for me to wrestle with practically how that played out. And there were times where I was frustrated. It felt like God was saying, you're, you can't do this. You, you're not competent enough. And through studying scripture and just familiarizing myself with the story of the Bible, that thought it is really ludicrous. Because if you start in Genesis and work your way through scripture, you see woman after woman after woman used in the kingdom of God as front runners. And yet they're still abiding in this beautiful structure that God has laid out. I just sat down and listed some this week. Um, Miriam, the older sister of Moses, took care of Moses. Deborah, the judge of Israel. Esther, queen of Persia, and saved an entire race of people. Rahab, a prostitute, used to help the nation of Israel and found a place in the line of Jesus. Tamar in the line of Christ through the most unexpected circumstances. Ruth, an outcast and a widow, powerfully used in the line of Christ. Mary, mother of Jesus, brought the Messiah into the world. Woman at the well, her life was used to display the mercy of God. Mary Magdalene washed Jesus' feet with tears, anointed him with perfume. And one of the very first to see the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus. Lydia, a follower of Christ whose wealth helped move the early church forward, and Priscilla, vital in the life of Paul and Apollos. And you just can't read scripture and think that God doesn't put value on your life. But you also can't read scripture and not see that God has a place for you to function with your giftings and the ways he's made you in the church, in the family. And so where culture might want to scream a prideful arrogance for women, right? You need to fight for your rights. You need to stand up for yourself. Christ says, listen, I've bought you. I've given you your rights. You have a humble confidence in me. You take the role that I've given you and you exist in it confidently, right? You don't walk in a manner that needs to buck up or fight for yourself. Jesus has done that. He's done that for you. So have confidence in the Lord and what he's called you to. And also know you will flourish under authority in your life. I love that I am not the top dog here. When I get an opportunity to teach, great. If I don't, great. When I get an opportunity to do whatever God's called me to, awesome. And when I don't, I just trust God with that. And I flourish within that. I don't have to fight for that. And that's the beauty of doing it right in Christ. I know I'm going to get the email, so I'm going to address it preemptively. Because every time you've talked with me, there's been an email. Mm -hmm. Am I supposed to submit to her authority? <laughs> if you don't know who the authority is up here, like who it finally lands on, you're not paying attention. Right? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we'll talk about this when we get to 1 Corinthians 14 because yeah. it comes up again. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back on this. Uh, when Paul utters the phrase, I do not permit a woman to speak. So come back when we get to 14. <laughs> and I'll give you the answer to that email then. But Brooke is exactly right. Here, here's the thing. The, the differences in the gender. We, we don't need to blur the lines. They're, they're this beautiful gift which flour can, you can flourish inside it, right? If, if there's, there's these distinctive roles in the Trinity and there's 
loving submission and honor inside the Trinity that's the perfect relationship. We are insane to think that somehow in our human, fallen, broken relationships, if we have to do what Jesus does, it makes us less. That's just, that's just ludicrous. And, and so it's a good thing to embrace. And, and let me say this to you. We're living in a world where, where what we've said tonight will increasingly become the dividing line. It's, it's a battleground for uh, really human flourishing, I believe. Um, you, you look at most of the wreckage in our culture and around the world, it's because men have abdicated their responsibility or abused it. Or, uh, and, and women, most of the time in response to that, it, it just you've got chaos in, in a lot of family structures and cultures because of that and because... Because we have abandoned what God has created and said is very good. And, and uh, we want to be our own gods. And so, th- hear me. This is not something, it's not a curse to be covered. It's a blessing to be rejoiced mm. in right. and loved. And uh, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word, and, and, and as Joel said earlier, it's a good thing when your word bumps up against uh, our thinking and our, wrong, uh, our wrong-headedness. And, and God, I, uh, on, on behalf of men uh, in your church, God, forgive us where we have, uh, we have abdicated responsibility or we have abused authority. Uh, God, those, that is dishonoring uh, to you and to the women you've called us to serve and lead. God, I pray for my sisters in here, those who, those who have suffered under abuse um, and those who are, um, there's some confusion. And in this room, I know this, Father, there's some confusion probably because of the cultural water we're swimming in about clarity on gender. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you're the one that can do the work that you would bring clarity, uh, because God, you're, you're, you created us, male and female, and Holy Spirit, you want uh, every one of us to thrive in that created piece of your image we're supposed to display. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would do that for anybody struggling tonight with that, and God, anything that, that, uh, that we may have said that was out of bounds, uh, Holy Spirit, supernaturally, let that be forgotten. But the things that edify and build up and glorify King Jesus, drive it into our hearts, make it real, and let us be the church that, that uh, shows the world what the image of God looks like. And it's in Jesus' great name we pray. 